this is a new interview series we're rolling with, uh, kind of under unique circumstances. Uh, given that everyone is kind of in self-isolation, self-quarantine, we thought, uh, what better way to kind of help connect you with some of the people that make some of your favorite things than uh, through a live video interview series. And our first guest is none other than Michael Cicchino. Uh, Michael, thank you so much for joining us today. Happy to be here, absolutely. Michael is, uh, you know, obviously well-renowned Oscar-winning composer, responsible for, uh, you know, Jurassic World, uh, War for the Planet of the Apes, a million Pixar movies. Everything he does is basically brilliant. Um, and now he has a new short film that he wrote, produced, directed, and scored uh, called Monster Challenge that uh, is now online and available to watch uh, on YouTube for free. A little bit of uh, some fun entertainment in these trying times. Um, so Michael, why don't you talk a little bit about um, just kind of your decision to put the short online and kind of where, where this short came from? Well, the short, well, I've been making movies since I was a kid. Like when, I was, I, when I was a little kid, uh, nine years old, I started making movies with my dad's eight millimeter camera. So most of my childhood was probably spent in the either in the basement making stop motion films or out in the backyard making, you know, lightsaber fights and different movies, recreating E.T. or Raiders of the Lost Ark with my friends. And uh, I mean, we made tons of movies. That's that's literally all I did growing up. And then I went to film school and music was not the thing I thought I'd be doing, but uh, I love it. It's been great. Uh, but I got to this point where I was like, oh, I really miss making movies. So I called my friend Patton Oswald and I was like, Patton, because we had worked together on Ratatouille. That's where we met. I was like, Pat, and I have this really dumb idea uh, for a short I want to I want to direct. It, what do you think? And I pitched him the idea and he was just like, let's do it. Let's do it. So, uh, you know, him and then I it's basically all my friends, like everyone in that show is friends of mine, you know, that I worked on or met through different productions. Amy Brenneman, our kids went to school together. Uh, of course, her husband is Brad Silberling, who I've worked with on Land of the Lost, and I've been friends with him for a long time. Um, so it was just, I just went out to all my friends, Ben Schwartz, everybody was just like, guys want to do this? And they were just like, sure, let's do it. Let's, you know, so we did it. We shot it over three days, we, it, which was insane to get this kind of thing done in three days, but we did it. And, uh, uh, my friend at Bad Robot, Josh Tate, he produced it. Uh, and it was just like a real, it was literally, I just wanted to have that feeling of, you know, when you were a kid and you could just do anything, you were like, let's just go outside and do this. And that's, that's what we did. We just we just said, let's just go outside and do this and make it just because it'll be fun to do. There was no other ulterior motive behind it. It was just a fun thing to do, you know, and just because I missed I just missed being on set or being with people making things. I'm stuck here in this room most of the time writing. So I rarely get to 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 uh, communicate in that way. Uh, well, it's super fun, uh, and uh, if you haven't seen the short yet, Patton Oswalt essentially plays a version of himself, and he gets roped into um, this Japanese game show where he's playing a kaiju, and he's you know uh, a monster, and there are a couple surprises I won't spoil, but where specifically did, did that idea come from, uh, the Japanese game show and then kind of the kaiju movies? I, I love, uh, A, I love monster movies. I absolutely love them. Uh, Ray Harryhausen, Willis O'Brien, these guys are like heroes of mine. Um, so there's that. And then there's the side of me that also loves Japanese game shows, uh, which are insane and crazy and so much fun to watch. Uh, and I thought, wouldn't it be cool to have a, uh, if, this is before I even thought about making this into a film. I thought it'd just be fun to have a Japanese game show 
where you had to dress up like a Godzilla or something like that, uh, some sort of monster, and for points, see how much of the city you can destroy before the the the, the contestants who are playing against you, uh, you know, shoot you down with uh, tranquilizer darts. And you know, knowing that that would never be a real game, I thought, oh, that it just sort of sparked the whole thing, and I thought. Oh well, why don't we make this into a short film? And then I just was talking to Patton, and I thought, oh my God, he'd be perfect for this. And uh, that's just how it happened. And I just wrote it out. And and of course, you know, Patton, Ben Schwartz, Benedict Wong, all these guys, Amy, they're uh, Dermot Mulroney. They're so good at what they do, um, and they're great at improv. So it was fun to just have a skeleton of a of a um, script, which I knew, which had everything I knew we needed to do. And they had certain lines they had to remember this and that, but a lot of it was them just riffing on each other. And especially you put Patton and Ben together. It's just yeah. like, you just, you never know what you're going to get. And, and we would do a bunch of takes and just pull all the, the most fun stuff. I mean, there's a lot of other stuff we have that just sits on the floor now, but it would have made the whole thing too long, you know? So. That's funny. That's what I was going to ask. Cause I mean, Ben obviously is this, you know, world renowned Im improviser. I mean, he improvises entire stage shows with Thomas Middleditch. So yes. what, what is it like getting him on set and just kind of winding him up and letting him go? Oh, it's, it's the best. Like is you just give him this setup, just give him sort of like any important thing that you have to, uh, that you know, you need to hit any story details, anything like that. You just give him all that. He'll just take it all in. And then he'll just like, it just, bleh, just all comes out comes out of him and he and every take is great and you're just like why it's sort of frustrating in a way because you know you can't use them all yeah but it becomes this thing where you're like choosing and then you're sitting there in the editing room and my editor uh matt evans and i would just sit there we'd watch every single one and be like i don't know they're all good which one do we use you know yeah uh, essentially you just gotta you gotta make a choice but he's he and Patton are both so smart about that and so good at um you throw something at them they will throw something at you right back instantly you know there's like no delay they just come out with something and i i don't know i don't know how they do it but thank god they do it because it's so fun to watch well you said you you made a lot of movies as a kid you've now worked with like some of the best directors in the world so what was it like stepping on set and now having that experience working with those filmmakers was there any like major pieces of advice or anything that stuck with you or that like oh that's something that i actually really needed to know well, the one thing that was interesting is in uh, scoring the thing was a, uh, you know, I, I'm used to this relationship between my friends that I, when I work with them on films and uh, and there's a great back and forth, you know, and we have this 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 full 100% honesty clause in our relationship, which is no matter what, always say what you think. And that goes, I can say it to them, they can say it to me. You know, I may be able to, I may comment on the edit or the script or whatever, they can comment on music anything I'm doing. So we just put all of that out there and there's no ego involved. So I didn't really have that relationship on this film because I was directing and scoring. So there was one, a couple moments where I would score things and I, I'd be like, okay, that's great. It's done. Uh, but then when I would see it back later, I thought, oh God, I, what was I thinking? I didn't really, you know, I should have, I didn't, I didn't necessarily have my director hat on while I was scoring. I just had my composer hat on, you know, and it, so that was an interesting thing to learn if I continued doing this with myself uh, to to be a little bit more, uh, you know, take the take the spot of the director while I'm writing uh, music for it, because you have to step away. And, you know, that that sort of uh, separation is so, so important. So 
and it helps me. And I know it helps. Even just having someone in the room when I'm playing back cues for them, you know, if 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 JJ is sitting behind me or or Brad Bird or anyone, uh, it's just great to have them in the room because it forces you to look at the thing differently. And I didn't have that on this. So uh, a couple of cues I had to go back and, and readjust because I didn't realize that until afterwards. Uh, <laughs> that was definitely a learning experience. Um, but being on set was fun. It, I, I felt like I just um, went right back to being a kid again and, and doing that. And we had the crew was incredible. I mean, again, I had so many favors from friends from all over who came and helped out to do this. Uh, a lot of people from Bad Robot and and actually they... They helped. They let me borrow equipment and all of this, and so so it was really a group effort. And I I'm so thankful that they were that they let me you know trusted me with their equipment and things like that and their time. You know, people put in a lot of time on this. Amelia, uh, you know, who was the production designer. I mean, you know, Amelia Brooke was she built that entire set. Her and and, and a bunch of her friends. It was incredible. You know. And I didn't even think about it. I remember going on that set the first day and going, oh, my God, yeah, we're really making something here. This is crazy, you know, because mm -hmm. you're so deep in making sure all the details and everyone is going to be there. Once you walk on set and see the game show thing and the, going to see the costumes and all of that was like, whoa, this is this is real. This is actually happening. It was fun. <laughs> well, it's also a pretty complicated film. I mean, you've got a pretty big action set piece in the middle there with special effects, with visual effects. Uh, what was that like kind of in the editing room, putting that together? Uh, it was tough. There was a 25-minute cut of this film at one point, and it was just too long. You know, like when you say a short film, I think there's a there people uh, expect it to be, you know, in the 10-minute range. And if it's not, you know, it better be damn good or else it's not going to, you know, you, people will just check out. So the editing room with Matt and I, it was like process of cutting down, cutting down, getting more, just keep losing all the things, a lot of which we loved, um, but everything you lost made it stronger and better. Uh, and I don't miss, and I couldn't even tell you the things that we left behind at this point. You know, all I know now is what we have there. Uh, it probably could be cut down a little bit more if we wanted to, but I, I you know, there's sometimes you're just like, I'll leave that in, it's funny. Um, but it's a, uh, one of the most fun things was the costume thing, you know, and, 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 and getting Patton and Ben fitted for those costumes. There's a company in Van Nuys. I don't know if you saw a commercial. It was like a, I guess it's an insurance commercial or something. They recreated the Gorn suit from uh, Star Trek original series, you know, where, where Kirk is out in the desert fighting this guy. So they had to recreate this Gorn suit for this commercial. And I saw that commercial and I was like, who did that? Who made that thing? And uh, and it was this guy Ken at this company called Total Fabrications, you know. Which and 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 they're they're in Van Nuys and they've been there forever, like for I don't know, thirty five years or something. Uh, Ken Hall is his name. And we went over. I called him. Went over to his shop. Saw all his stuff. Uh, and he made these these incredible costumes. And so I said, Do you think you could do something? I showed him the script and and I had drawn some really rough designs. And uh, he was like, yeah, and he he made those costumes for us. I mean, there was a, it was it was incredible, and it was really funny too. At some point, I'll put up some back behind the scenes shots of the fittings and everything. You know, Patton getting fit in for the suit, and and Ben getting measured and all that. It was it was quite a quite a fun process. Do you uh, have the bug now? Or are you itching to kind of direct something else again? 
Yeah, definitely. I would love to. Um, and I'm, I'm working on a couple things that I have, you know, that I'm looking at doing next, some big, some smaller. And, uh, you know, this it's interesting because this whole time now where everything is sort of shut down and everyone is like at home, it really, you know, obviously, first thing, make sure you're safe, make sure everyone is safe around you and all of that. And then once you do that, you start sitting around going, well, what am I going to do? I don't really have any movies to score this year. Uh, you know, so I'm just sort of getting my head back together and going, okay, what do I want to do now? What, what do I, you know, and I have about four or five things that I'm looking at doing. So hopefully soon, yes, I will be doing it again. That's fantastic. Um, to segue a little bit, I, I kind of want to talk about your, your film composition, uh, work just cause I mean, the library is huge. We, we could spend four hours talking about it, but I'll try not to take that much of your time. Um, <laughs> I'm curious, though, I mean, you come from the world of video games where, you know, you may or may not be working with kind of existing themes, existing material. And you've also gone on to work on these major franchises like Jurassic Park and, you know, Star Trek and Planet of the Apes where themes exist. And so I'm wondering for you, what's kind of your process as a composer like, where you may feel an obligation to at least address or even maybe use some of that music and, and kind of put it in a different way while also creating a score that uh, is original? Well, I'll tell you, you know, if I'm working on something that has something pre-existing, especially something like Star Trek, Star Trek has a lot of pre-existing, mm. but I sort of just focused it on Alexander Carriage's theme, the, the original one. You know, I thought, well, if we're going to use anything, it would have to be that. And you have to also then think about, well, how do we use it and where do we use it? Because if you overuse something, uh, it's very easy to take a theme that is so well known and just slam it in everywhere. Um, it's great fan service, it gets the heart pumping, but it doesn't always necessarily help the storytelling, you know? Uh, and it can be something that if you do too much, it actually hurts the film, I think, uh, rather than help it. So in the case of Star Trek, it was about always about talking about, well, where are we gonna use this theme? And, and JJ and I went back and forth with that for months, you know, as we were working on the film. And in the end, it really came down to, you know what, let's just save it for the ending as a big celebra celebration of what Star Trek is to us and what we love about it. And let's make the biggest version of it we can, you know, and let's intertwine it with our new theme and just go and have some fun with it. So we ended up doing that. Now, that's Star Trek uh, on something like Star Wars, like Rogue One. It's different. You, you again... My point of view is to be very careful with those things and only use exactly what you need when you need it, because it's like telling the same joke over and over again. If you play that card too many times, it's not it doesn't have any impact anymore. Yeah. So I could easily sit there and just have played, you know, the force theme all the time throughout the whole thing. And maybe the first time, the second time would have been, but by the end of the film, it wouldn't have been as impactful. So it was about, let's save it for when we really want to hear it. Uh, less is more, you know? Um, so I'm always trying to be very careful about how I use those themes. Uh, and not because I don't want to, because I love that stuff. I obviously grew up, I love Star Wars and I, I, I love Star Trek and all the music that comes along with it. Um, but I also want to do what's right for the story that the filmmaker is making, you know, as opposed to just, um, you know, regurgitating something that has been around for a while. Uh, I tend to be very careful with those things. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that makes sense. Well, it, you, you say you talk about Rogue One. That was a unique case, right? I mean, you had very little time to work, so you easily could have used it as a crush. Yeah, no, absolutely. It could have been with the kind of thing where I could have just grabbed 
every cue that had been in those movies before and just done that. Um, but that wouldn't have been right to do, and it wouldn't have been good for the story. It wouldn't have been good for the overall movie. It wouldn't have, uh, you know, I, I always want to make sure that I am hand-in-hand uh, hand with the storytelling of the film. When I first started working on Incredibles with Brad Bird, he, you know, one of the things he said to me early on, he goes, now listen to me. He said, your music could ruin my movie. And I was just like, well, what do you, what do you mean? He goes, if we're not hand-in-hand hand the entire time, making sure that the music is a reflection of the story, the audience is gonna start thinking and feeling things we don't want them to think or feel. So it's, we have to be very careful about that. And that was, you know, a long time ago he told me that, but I have never forgotten that. And it's, and it's so true, you have to be, music is a dangerous, dangerous weapon in a film because it can easily get you thinking about something that you shouldn't be thinking about if you're not doing it right. So you got to stay very in tune with the story and what that filmmaker wants to tell, the ideas that they're trying to get across. And it really is sort of one of the ultimate partnerships in filmmaking process. Um, because Brad's right, the music can ruin the movie and you got to just, you got to be on top of that. Well, I mean, your work at Pixar is incredible. Um, but you, I mean, you've worked at Pixar for a really long time. I think The Incredibles was your first time, right? And you yes. know. Yeah. You just did Incredibles 2, and you've done Coco, Ratatouille. And Pixar is kind of this place where a lot of people look to as kind of this storytelling mecca. I know, you know, a lot of people go there to kind of get input on scripts or input on movies. Um, what's kind of been your experience through that time? Like, has Pixar changed very much throughout that time, or is it still kind of this this really kind of goldmine of, of really interesting approaches to storytelling? Well, I, I certainly think they have some of the most talented people in the world working there, that's for sure. And... Um, and grow, you know, I think anything that is ex as successful as something like Pixar, it's very difficult to to maintain that because you're not only looking at what you're making next, but you're looking in the rearview mirror of what you made, thinking I got to make something as good as those things behind me, you know, and that that becomes hard. Whereas if when you're young and scrappy, you're just out there making your best thing and you're just throwing it out there one after the other, not even thinking about it. But as some time passes. You start looking back going, wow, you know, and, and now what's exciting to me at Pixar is this whole new group of people getting a chance to tell stories there. And I feel like for the first time since the beginning of the studio, we're going to see some energy that feels like a bunch of people wanting to just get out there and do their first chance, you know, do their first time. They haven't directed, you know, four other movies there. They haven't not even directed one. They're, they're excited to get this off the ground and, and, and see what they can do. So I think this next phase for them is going to be really, really interesting, you know. And of course, you got someone like Pete Doctor who is making, you know, his films. His films are always so unique and different, and and so artistic and and uh, emotionally and devastating. Yeah, yes, that too. Yes, that too. <laughs> and uh, so you know, you have these masters like Pete, and then you have this whole group of young people who are just raring to get out there and and kick some butt. And so I think it's kind of fun to watch. For sure. Yeah, I really can't wait to see what they're doing next. Mm -hmm. um, speaking of themes, I'd be remiss if I didn't point out the Mission Impossible franchise, which, uh, I mean, it's been going on for so long and pound for pound, it's one of, if not like one of the most consistently good franchises still going. And you had the pleasure of working on two of those films with two different yeah. filmmakers. Uh, I was wondering kind of what your experience was working on those films. And then again, that theme is so iconic and yeah. it could just take over the entire movie. I think that that theme is one of the few melodies in existence that you can never tire of. 
you know? <laughs> and if anything were to speak against what I was saying before in terms of, you know, being careful when you use something, do this. I think the Mission Impossible, Dave, you can pretty much use anywhere and it's really exciting. It works and you just have fun. You know, it just goes. Uh, I just love it. Lalo Schifrin, just one of the greatest composers, a massive hero of mine. Obviously, I love him. I, when I first worked on the, when I was working on the very first movie with JJ, Mission Impossible 3, uh, I called Lalo up and I asked him if he would mind having lunch with me. So we went to lunch and I was really nervous about this because I had not met him before. Uh, I was really, you know, just starting out at the time, basically. Um, and I just wanted to ask him, you know, what did you what should I do? What shouldn't I do? I don't want to mess up your music. What, you know, what do you, what do you, this and that? And I remember he just looked at me. He's like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, well, I don't want to do any. He goes, and he just cut me off. And he was like, just have fun with it. And I was like, really, that's it? And he goes, yeah, just have fun with it. And I was like, yeah, okay, I could do that. And I did. I just went and went crazy with it. I tried to use it in every single, you know, time signature I could. I went, I just, I just had a lot of fun with that. And, um, and and I became great friends with him over over the years, which was a, a really fun and uh, a crazy gift that I never thought ever that I'd be friends with Lalo Schifrin. I mean, but you know what a wonderful guy, and obviously again who wrote one of the greatest themes in film and you know TV and now film history. So yeah, crazy. And your variation on it in Ghost Protocol is so much fun. Oh, thanks. Yeah, yeah, that was fun to do that film. There, you know, doing that second one, I thought well. Now what do I do? It's a whole different, but you know, Brad's style is so different from JJ's style. You know, you you. Yeah. I was like, oh, this is a completely different kind of movie, um, which was equally as challenging as doing number three, uh, and also equally as fun. You know, uh, and there are some really incredibly funny moments in that film, which I love the humor that he brought to the to the whole to the whole uh, story. It was great. Brad's great, for sure. Uh, are you guys working on a musical? Is that what Brad? I think Brad said you guys were going to put together a musical. We are working on a musical. He outed us in some interview. <laughs> somewhere. Uh, <laughs> and you were very happy to have everyone know that you're in the very early stages of writing a musical. <laughs> yeah. So, like, what do you say? He's like, well, I don't know. We are, right? I'm like, yeah, we are. Uh, so yeah, we are. We are in the early stages of doing that and, and working on just kind of working on, okay, what is this thing going to be? What's it going to sound like? Let's, come up with at least one idea that we can start bouncing around and seeing how we feel about it. So that's, that's where we are. It is still early stages. And, uh, but the idea is great and it's, you know, it's pure Brad Bird and it's just really fun and emotional and, and, uh, exciting and silly and all those great things you expect from his movies. Um, so yeah, so I'm looking forward to that, that I don't know when it, I don't know when it's coming out or what the, you know, but, but yeah, we're working on it. <laughs> awesome. Uh, well, I mean, you've also recently been putting your stamp on kind of the Marvel universe, which I think is really kind of coming into its own with these really uh, unique and fun music competitions, uh, specifically like, you know, Doctor Strange, um, what uh, Mark did with Thor Ragnarok, yeah. um, really loved, and, you know, obviously your Spider-Man uh, films. What was it kind of like working in, in kind of the Marvel mold and, and then getting to play with a hero like Peter Parker? Oh, you know what? I remember, you know, I had been asked many times over the years to to do one of those movies, and I, I just I was either busy on other things or I felt like, you know, I remember, you know, something. 
it's hard for me, you know, I look at something like the Avengers, there's so many main characters in there. I'm like, I don't even know what to do there because yeah. I want to write a theme for everyone. But but I remember when Kevin came to me and asked me about um, Doctor Strange, I was like, yes, 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 because I love a movie, especially a superhero movie that is about a character. Uh, it doesn't mean there can't be other people in, you know, in and out of it, but I love it when it's really focused on a person. And, um, and I also loved Doctor Strange as a kid. I had a bunch of those comics. Which is weird because it's one of the you know ones that a lot of people didn't know about or didn't you know he, you know he wasn't like one of the main uh, most popular ones but I loved it and uh, so I remember going in there and just being like yes I'm I will definitely do this and the thing about Kevin Kevin's incredible to work with because Kevin is like your you know your next door neighbor when you were a kid you know and you know come over to your house with a stack of comics and. And you go through them, and he knows every single thing about every one of those characters. He knows that universe so well, and uh, and and it shows when you look at the the expansive films that they have done under his sort of guidance. You're just it's amazing to see how he held it all together. You know, I mean, obviously they have amazing directors and writers and all of that. Kevin is the overlord of it all, and he knows he's not just an exec. He knows and loves that material as much as we do, you know? So that was the one of the biggest joys in getting to know Kevin was just seeing how much he really, truly loves this stuff, you know? And then learning what a massive Star Trek and Star Wars fan he is as well. You know, it's just so funny, you know, all, the, the, the more we got to know know each other, I was like, wow, you're, you're, you're basically me and all of us in this geekdom world that love all this stuff, we're all, you know? He's uh, very much one of all of us, and it's uh, it's just a good good guy, and um, nice people too. I mean, Victoria Alonso over there, uh, Luis Pizzito, the people that run the whole thing—they're just good people, you know. So anytime I get to work with them, I'm thrilled and happy. Are you uh, going to be working with them again on the new Spider-Man film? Uh, <laughs> and ha I mean, that's a little ways off. It hasn't yeah. been announced, but I'm you know I don't know. We'll see. But sure. uh, yes, <laughs> I mean, you know, all, all of those fun things that you're, you can and can't say. Yeah, uh, I get it. Well, Spider-Man film is being made. Yes. So, <laughs> so that's that. Uh, well, one thing I think that has been reported that uh, I think we can talk about is you're doing the, the next Jurassic film. Yes. The next Jurassic World film with Colin. Yes. Um, but I was kind of curious. I mean, again, talk about following in the footsteps of a hero, John Williams, again, with an yeah. iconic theme. Um, you know, talk about kind of working with that on the first two films and maybe kind of what, um, I mean, I'm sure it's early days, but you know, what you guys are kind of talking about for this third one. Yeah. Uh, well, there's still pretty, we haven't talked too much about this, you know, first one. I mean, they literally just started shooting and, uh, got shut down. And so they're, everyone's like home now. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not sure how that's going to affect everything, but it'll get made. But the, in talking to Colin, I remember on the first film, and he felt very much as I felt, you know, with all of this, which was, look, we're making our, you know, Jurassic. We don't, we're not remaking someone else's. We're doing ours. So we need new themes. We need new ideas. And it doesn't mean we want to forget the old stuff. We want to use that, but we want to be very careful when we use it. So he was very much in, a, in agreement with me in terms of how we approach the use of older uh, material, the stuff that John did, which is, you know, some of the greatest music ever written. And it's always like, it's always a gift to be able to sit there and go, oh, I get to actually play around with this thing that 
that that I grew up listening to and loving so much, uh, and that means so much to the world, which is the other thing you got to be careful with because everyone gets up in arms about any little thing you change or do. But you know that it is what it is. Um, but we really do respect it so much, and we love it. And and keeping his music alive in the material that we're creating is important to us, you know. But doing it in the right way, so we're not just, you know, cutting and pasting it. That's that's yeah. my nightmare. That that's the way it would be. I want to integrate it so it feels as though it's it's part of the whole. You know, it belongs to the tapestry that we're that we're creating for this particular film. Now, the second one was also. A great example of somewhere you know where we we were able to use a bit of the old stuff, and we did when it made sense. But now we had all the material I did for the first one, which carried into the new character. So we used a lot of that, but then also we got to do the Indoraptor theme, which was a whole different thing as well. Uh, so I do think when you're making these films, even if they are franchises or sequels, I think it's so important to inject new ideas and new material into what you're doing. Or else it's just, you know, I wouldn't want to watch it if it was just sort of a retread of everything else. I, I You know, so I am always going in there and going, what would I want to see, you know, if knowing that this is a brand new chapter in the Jurassic Park sort of uh, line of stories, you know, what would I want to see or what would I want to hear? And we very much approach it from that point of view. You know, it's not about like, well, what will make people happy? You know, yeah. you know it's about like, what will make us happy? You know, what would make us as filmmakers happy? What would make us as artists happy to do? Um, you can't ignore what came before, and, and we don't want to either. Uh, but we want to just make sure, again, we, we use it right, you know, and, and give people something new, a new experience uh, mixed with a little bit of the nostalgia that you love from the previous ones. Yeah. Yeah, trusting that, like, you yourself are a fan, and therefore you will create something that hopefully fans will like, but yeah. not trying to anticipate exactly what they want. Yeah, yeah, because when I think about, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark is my absolute favorite movie in the world. You know, I love that film. And I think about, you know, Stephen and George at that time when they were making those movies, they were inspired by so much that came before in making those films. But they didn't uh, just retread what came before. They took that inspiration and they went in this direction with it and created something new. And I feel like that should be our our journey as well. We get to have that same journey as well, where we're inspired by something that came before and take it into a different direction. Um, so all those films we grew up with, you know, if you talk to all those directors and so many of them I've been lucky enough to work with and get to know over the years, they're always talking about, you know, the things that inspired them. Oh, well, you know, I, I loved, you know, serials from of the thirties and that's why I wanted to do this or, or even Flash Gordon for, you know, Star Wars, you know, he was, sort of taking those things and, and jumping off uh, into a different realm with them. So as much as we can do that with a film that has a two or a three or a four behind it, uh, I think it's important for us to try and do that. Well, and to that end, I think, you know, one of the best examples and one of the most successful in recent memory is Matt Reeves' Apes films. Um, and your score on those movies, especially War for the Planet of the Apes, is, that's one of the best scores of the century so far, I think. And you guys just really dug deep and created something new and fresh. Um, I was wondering if you could kind of talk about, I mean, I know you've worked with Matt for a long time, yeah. but what was kind of the collaboration process on those films specifically? Uh, I love working with Matt. Matt, because Matt, I think people always ask me, what's your favorite thing you've ever worked on? And I don't really have a favorite, but if I think about like 
music. What did I enjoy most? I enjoyed a lot of it, but I think that if I look at something like Lost, I look at Lost and I go, oh, Lost was something where there was no template for it and I got to do whatever I wanted to do, you know? Um, so that usually is the thing I think about when people ask me that. Planet of the, Matt is very much into uh, just, you know, me doing me and then seeing where it goes, you know, uh, in the way that I was able to do on Lost. You know, a lot of times you're in a little bit of a lane that you have to keep in when you're creating something for certain types of movies. Um, and while there was a little bit of a lane for apes, there was no real theme that has been around for apes. There was a sort of a sound, a sonic sort of template for it that Jerry Goldsmith created, uh, which, by the way, is one of the greatest movie scores ever done with the original Planet of the Apes. Um, by Jerry, uh, so there was a, there was a, there's that, but there was no necessarily theme. So we, we, we were able to. I felt such freedom to do whatever I wanted within Matt's story, and Matt loves sort of like he loves sort of modernism, and he loves like these crazy textures and repeated phrases and things like that, which I do too. Like I love that building tension that can happen with something when you just let it keep going over and over, maybe let it get bigger and bigger. And, those kinds of things are really fun to play around with. And, uh, and on Apes, we were able to do that and also do very melodic moments where it felt very emotional and it felt very empathetic. You know, I feel like, I don't know how he did it. The Apes in those movies, you know, Andy Serkis and everyone at Weta, the work done on the Apes movies is some of the most incredible effects work I've ever seen. And I... I would sit here writing uh, at my desk and I'd be staring at the screen and I would just keep going back and forth on some of the shots because I was like, how is that not a real ape? That makes no sense. Yeah. That's like a real, you know, they've sort of crossed that Rubicon now and have, uh, you know, where you're just like, uh, you know, you're just accepting that that's a real thing on screen. Um, so musically, it was just always about, you know, digging into the the emotional aspect of the story, which is what composing always is for me. It's always about translating how I feel about something into music uh, for the film. Uh, and it's just incredible. And, you know, um, now is where I ask you about the Batman. And I know you can't say yep. very much about the Batman, but we are in a unique position in that we have heard some of your music for the Batman already. Right. Um, what yes, can you kind of tease about? And that's a franchise that doesn't have you know, you have different themes over the years, but yeah. very tonally different films. So you're, you're kind of, was it kind of like Apes where you could kind of have the freedom to... Exactly. I felt total freedom to do whatever I wanted. I, you know, the, you know, Matt always, this is our Batman. This is our version, you know, in the same way what I loved about, you know, and I still do about Batman comics and graphic novels is that, you know, each of these artists, each of these authors, they take their own crack at what they want this version to be it's their version of batman you know so i love it when i see like batman in a story a graphic novel of batman in the 1800s like to me that is cool like i love that yeah and i'm not i don't i'm not the kind of person that says no batman must always be this it's like well no why it can be whatever the artist wants it to be and it has over the years done that many times over you know uh, so I love, I love the idea of taking something and just kind of doing our version of it, you know? And I remember when Matt and I have been talking about this for a long time, Batman, obviously, and, uh, 
you know, last year after reading the script, I remember just sitting down and going, oh, I have an idea, I have an idea. And I sat down and I wrote that piece that is in the, in the, in the teaser trailer. And Matt has had that, you know, uh, it was just like a demo version of it, a <laughs> mock-up. It wasn't even, you know, done with the orchestra or anything. And uh, so then he had been using that in every single one of his um, presentations at Warner Brothers. He would put it behind every, like, all right, these are the costumes, you hear that music, here's the thing, you hear the music, the thing. So when it came time to release the thing, he was just like, well, we have to put it with the music. We have to have, the, we can't put this out there without, you know, and usually you don't get that chance. Usually you're, um, you know, you, the, the music isn't written to way late in the game. Yeah. You know? So all of the early marketing stuff is just, they'll take whatever, so, you know, take whatever they can use, uh, whatever fits. So this was a great opportunity to like from 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 the get go say nope this is our Batman, you know, uh, like it or not this is what we're doing and uh, you know, and I you know Matt and I love it we we watch it we have a lot of fun with it and which makes us like feel like kids again, and uh, so you know, but I did go over and I recorded that for that and we recorded a bunch of other music as well for it as you know a lot of themes and things that haven't been nobody has heard yet uh, so but they'll all be popping up as the film gets underway again and starts getting, you know, back into production and life gets back to normal, hopefully soon. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know Matt has said it's kind of a detective story. Can you tease kind of tonally this take on Batman? Well, I think the only thing I'd be allowed to say is watch the teaser. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what it is. <laughs> and, then, and then make your own decision on that at this. I don't want to, I don't, I, I don't need to. Warner Brothers knocking on my door. Probably, in the middle of the interview, you'll see a red dot on my head, you know, from some <laughs> laser guidance system. <laughs> so, yeah. That is, that is uh, but I, I do love it. I think what he's doing is really cool, and it's different, and it feels uh, fresh, you know, in the way that I get excited when I see a new graphic novel or comic book coming out, you know, with a new take on it. I, it feels uh, it feels like that, you know. And, and, and Robert Pattinson is just an, a fantastic actor and I'm, I'm thrilled to see him in it. Like, I feel like that is such a crazy great choice for Batman. And, uh, you know, people will realize that once they see it. So That's in time. Incredible. Yeah. It, it, that is a unique position you're in though. That, I mean, if, if you've recorded some music, I assume, you know, they're going to use those in the trailers and stuff. So they won't be using existing. Yeah. But that's the plan. That's the plan that we, as we go forward, we start, we keep, you know, keep it all unified and make it what it is. You know, we're, we're delivering on a promise that you'll, you'll, you'll get when you see the film, you know, that's what we want. I don't want to suddenly be in a position where, you know, suddenly you're hearing music from, I don't even know what, pick anything and, you know, uh, behind, behind our thing. Cause it wouldn't, it wouldn't be the right thing. So as much as we can do it, we will. And that's our intention. So we'll see, we'll see how, as we go forward. Awesome. Yeah. Well, Michael, thank you so much for talking to us and uh, talking Absolutely. to me. Absolutely. Anytime. Happy to do it. And congratulations again on Monster Challenge. I, you know, you have such a, a love of, of these kinds of things. It, it really comes through in your music, comes through in that film. And I really hope we see uh, more films from you as a writer, director going forward. Yes, me too. I agree. I want to do that more. Hire awesome. me. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Thanks, everybody, for watching. Uh, this has been the very first installment of Collider Connected. Please go on YouTube uh, to find Monster Challenge. Um, you can also find it on Michael's Twitter. 
um, check it out. We could all use a little joy right now and it will bring you a lot of joy. So yeah, everyone stay safe, stay home and yep. take care of your families. Indeed. Thanks everybody. All right. Talk soon. Okay. Bye.